Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Bluetooth Bacteria podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina, and I'm here with my iGen team members, Angel, Leah, and Dara. If you're new to this podcast, we are part of the Pittsburgh iGen team, and our goal is to talk about current advances in synthetic biology and its different applications. Today, we are very excited to have Arno and Laura from Toulouse to talk a little bit about what they're working on and some of the challenges they have faced so far. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you so much for receiving us. <laughs> so a little bit of background for our listeners. We've actually met last week to talk about our projects because our projects are pretty similar. So they're using an optogenetic system where light is used to trigger gene expression. And then we're using more of a magnetogenetic system where instead of light, we're using a magnetic field to control gene expression. So with that, can you guys describe your project to our listeners? Like, what are some of the main problems you're trying to solve? And then how are you trying to solve it? Um, yeah, maybe we should talk a little bit about the inspiration of our project just yeah. before getting into the real problems so that we can understand yeah. like what actually is our challenge. Yeah, tell us about your inspiration. So before starting a project, each of the team members brought different topics that we could work on. Uh, one of our members thought about using synthetic biology in space because Toulouse is actually the capital city of aeronautics in space. And then we slowly started incorporating each other's topics like the production of vitamins and the use of electrosynthesis as an energy source. And so basically our project goes around the challenge of providing food supplements to astronauts for long duration travels. We're talking about trips that will last over three or even five years because uh, space travels are getting farther and farther away from Earth. And currently, all food is brought from Earth into the International Space Station, but obviously, as we will go farther away, this will be not doable. So another problem food has is that if we store them, uh, the, its nutrition value mm, decays over time. And a lot of things, such as vitamins, are extremely sensitive to radiation, temperature, oxygen, and light. And so it, we want to bring a solution to this problem. Okay, so basically you're trying to figure out a way to produce these vitamins for long-duration trips in space, which is really cool. Um, so how are you guys planning on doing that? Well. As you may imagine, um, the main pro problem uh, of doing such a space travel is that, uh, and on which we focused our efforts on, was the problem of making this viable source of nutrients and as a proof of concept, vitamin A, uh, using the only resources available uh, aboard a spaceship. So the only resources that are currently unused uh, on spacecraft are CO2 that comes from the air that the astronauts breathe out. Uh, body waste, so uh, we're talking about feces and urine. Uh, the latter being a really interested source of nitrogenous compounds, such as ammonia or urea. And uh, the last one that is currently unused on spacecrafts is uh, H2. It's a byproduct of uh, water electrolysis, uh, which is the process the astronauts are currently using to provide um, breathable oxygen to the astronauts. So the original idea of um, our project was to produce a microorganism that could grow um, only using these available resources uh, on the spaceship and also be edible 
and nutritive in order to meet the needs of uh, astronauts. But unfortunately, um, we couldn't find such a perfect organism that could both fulfill um, the requirements of growing on those scarce resources and also be edible and nutritive. Uh, so we had to come up with uh, another solution, and it's the solution uh, which our whole project is based on. How are you trying to solve this? So we are using a co-culture system with uh, two organisms, one being a bacteria, Clostridium lundalai, and a yeast, uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And the bacteria will use some of the available resources that Arnaud just told us about, uh, like H2 and CO2 and it will produce ethanol and acetate that will be consumed by the yeast together with the O2 and urine available in the spacecraft. And the yeast uh, will be engineered to produce, in our case, vitamin A. And, but also another issue in space is the, chain, the change of received taste by astronauts due to microgravity. For this reason, we decided to introduce two different tastes, lemon and rose. We will use an optogenetic regulation system that will, be, that will let uh, astronauts choose which is their favorite taste. And then on the lab, we're also working on, besides the engineering part, we're also working on the co-culture system. So we're trying to find which is the optimal growing conditions for both microorganisms. So we're using modeling, but we're also uh, studying the growth in real time. Okay, so why exactly are you guys decided to use vitamin A compared to other vitamins? We picked vitamin A because it's a essential vitamin for humans. It's essential for a correct um, vision of astronauts and humans, and also a correct cellular division. And it's also one of the vitamins that uh, qu more quickly uh, decays over time due to many factors. And so it's impossible to store it for longer periods of time. Yes, because uh, vitamin A is also quite um, an easy vitamin to make a yeast produce because you only have to add on one enzyme compared to other vitamins that require much more enzymes to, to be added. And we thought that uh, due to the short uh, time period that we have uh, in iGEM competition, it was better to make a proof of concept using uh, an easier vitamin to produce uh, and still quite rele rele relevant sorry, for um, space travels as uh, it decays over time quite fast and it's essential for uh, the astronaut's vision. So can we, going back to your optogenetic system, can you talk a little bit more about that? I remember when we met previously that you guys were using like a blue light and a red light to have a different response and different output? Yes, exactly. Um, it was one of our challenge actually to like understand which kind of optogenetics regulation system we could use. So as Laura told you, we uh, are planning to engineer the yeast so that it can produce uh, two different tastes based on the lighting that we put inside the, our system. So in the end, we chose uh, two types of light, uh, red light and blue light, basically. And so to make our optogenetics regulation system that work under those two lights, uh, after a lot of uh, reading and uh, checking the literature, we found um, that the easiest and most effective regulations, regulation systems uh, known so far 
to trigger the expression of, of genes using light and the ones that we decided to use uh, were phi A, phi A1 and EL222. So maybe uh, EL222 is more uh, it's more famous, uh, especially in the iGEM competition. It's a fairly commonly used uh, light-activated DNA binding protein. And um, it works by dimerizing under blue light. And it just binds to a recognition site that you put upstream the gene you want to activate. And the second regulation system uh, is called Phi-A-Phi-1. Phi and so it's basically two proteins that are fused uh, respectively with GAL4 um, binding and GAL4 activating domains. So these are two domains um, that activate uh, a type of promoter, the GAL4 promoter. And so when there's uh, emission of red light, uh, those two proteins interact and um, they activate um, any gene that has a GAL promoter in front of it. So yeah, this is what we are planning to do with the, these regulation systems. And yeah, we are still doing some cloning. So one of the things I wanted to ask about, so for our magnetogenetic system, we were considering how long it takes to actually have an output um, using a magnetic field. Do you guys know how long it takes for, like how long do you have to shine the blue light or the red light to actually get the output that you want? Well, that's actually uh, a good question. I think uh, some of the other members have the answer. I, I can check with them, <laughs> but it's supposed to be manageable time periods, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. a few hours or like hopefully even less. But... Yeah, I know that's just one of the biggest problems with uh, these systems is that sometimes it takes a long time to have a, the response you want. True. Uh, yeah. Um, but it's not really a problem for a system because it's supposed to be a continuous uh, culture. So astronauts can wait uh, like even several days mm -hmm. just to get their taste uh, out of it. And we actually chose um, tastes that are quite strong, I think, uh, lemon and rose. The reason why is because they're actually easy to, to produce <laughs> as oh, well. Okay. This is actually, I think this is kind of a silly question, but just how how will the astronauts how are they going to consume it like how are they going to take those flavors imagine them eating yeast like as is like from a petri dish and that's not i know that's not right <laughs> that's almost the the solution they will be eating the yeast and we actually talked to different experts on that for instance uh, a doctor of Dear European astronauts, and she su suggested that they could use it itself salt on their dishes so they can get a flavor and also get the vitamins or the nutrients from the yeast. So they will be eating the yeast okay. from the culture. They will be harvesting the yeast so they don't have the bacteria, and then they will be eating the yeast. So, looking at your project as a sort of a bigger picture, have you guys considered any? ethical limitations to your project? Yes, it's true. Um, we actually considered it and we think it's quite important to always think about the moral and ethical limitations of our projects because we're still engineering organisms after all. Mm -hmm. So uh, in our project, we're um, producing compounds that the yeast uh, wouldn't produce otherwise. So uh, that's why we have to engineer the yeast. And it's true that engineered organisms or rather controversial uh, worldwide, especially in Europe and in France, where their uses and production 
are restricted and strictly controlled. Um, however, we also believe that thoughtful engineered um, organisms, especially in space, are inevitable if we truly want to help humanity um, reach new horizons and go farther than ever. Uh, so in our project, uh, moral and ethical limitations um, must actually be taken seriously, uh, especially because if you want to send something in space, you have to um, like go through a really strict protocol, actually. Um, we have to make sure that our final system will be good for the world and, as they said in iGEM, and uh, totally harmless. Mm -hmm. And so as for now, our experimentations are performed in accordance with the French laws. Uh, but we also have the, the chance to have um, a special ethics advisor based in Lyon. Uh, she's called Marie-Pierre Escudier uh, from the Gaston Berger Institute. And she's helping us build uh, what's called an ethical matrix. I don't know if you know about it. Yeah, can you describe that a little bit? Yes. Um, so an ethical matrix is uh, like a super useful tool. Uh, that allows uh, you to understand the impact of your project on the stakeholders. So it can be the users, the suppliers, the, um, the shippers, uh, if, you, if your project eventually gets to uh, the next step. Uh, and it's a matrix that uh, helps you understand the impact uh, regarding three major ethical um, issues, autonomy, uh, well-being, and fairness. And this matrix helps identify the problematic points in your projects uh, in order to bring solutions and correct them. Uh, for example, we are currently constructing uh, one of these ethical matrices to analyze the life cycle of our final co-culture system. And the other goal with that, we want to actually go a little further. And um, with our advisor, we are planning on um, giving a clear procedure and useful tip for other IGM teams uh, on how to implement this uh, ethical matrix tool. And we actually want to make this contribution so that more and more teams um, thoroughly consider the ethical and moral questions that their project raises and by getting the most out of uh, this tool that is the ethical matrix. That, that's actually really cool. That's something definitely our team would be really interested in as well. Um, Ethical matrix. I haven't. I haven't heard about that. That's a very impressed. Yeah, we so, figured it's quite hard yeah. to like start from scratch when you <laughs> have to use such a tool. So that's why we're like yeah. planning on doing. Yeah, like something for our project. Our project is more of a foundational advance, um, so it's harder to consider the ethical implications because we don't necessarily know what the applications are. But for something like a therapeutic, you know based on previous literature what the ethical considerations you need to take into like autonomy benevolence um, like causing harm to the patient but something that's not necessarily within the the medical ethics or bio, bioethics i think that it's really nice to have like some outline of what we need to consider instead of just going into it like i don't know um so what are some of the biggest problems and challenges that your team has faced so far? And this could be just in regards to your project specifically or related to this pandemic. How has your team worked during this interesting time, I guess? Yeah, I have a full list of that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, 
I think I've, oh, did I tell you about the, the, the challenge of the design of the co-culture itself? Uh, you mentioned it. Okay, so that was actually a major challenge um, regarding our project. So if you remember uh, from the previous questions, um, our co-culture system uh, is between a yeast and a bacteria and they live in a sort of symbiosis. Uh, so this uh, system of culture has to meet several requirements. First, uh, the bacteria and the yeast need to be separate at all times because we don't want our yeast to be contaminated by the bacteria uh, when, when you actually withdraw it to when you harvest it and you want to eat them, you don't really want the bacteria to, to go with it. So um, to do so, we had to consider using two physically separated environments to avoid any direct contact between the two organisms. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also have to make sure that the media in the two compartments uh, are constantly exchanged from one to the other. Uh, and this is because, well, the bacteria is actually producing acetate and ethanol, which are the carbon sources for the yeast. The, the medium has to be transferred uh, back and forth between the two environments. And conversely, the yeast also metabolizes urea into ammonia, which is uh, usable by the bacteria as a source of nitrogen. So as I said, uh, there must be a constant flux of medium uh, going back and forth the two compartments, but without mixing the two organisms. So we are currently constructing a system that uses pumps and filter membranes to achieve this goal. And along, alongside these constraints, we also have to consider how to provide um, CO2 and H2 on the bacteria side as its, its substrates, and uh, O2 on the yeast side. For now, or in our experimentation, uh, CO2 is just provided uh, by a gas bottle, but um, O2 and H2 will actually be produced um, in the lab using an electrolyzer, which is exactly how we want these astronauts to, to use our, our system. Uh, inside their spacecrafts. So basically this whole uh, design of the system with multiple inputs, uh, in pumps, membranes, well, it has given our team a, a great challenge to overcome, I'd say, and a few headaches with that. Yeah, it definitely sounds complicated. Um, so what other problems have you guys faced? Have you guys had difficulties uh, uh, during this pandemic? How, do you guys, you guys have lab access, right? Yes, we do have lab access um, since mid-June when things started to get better here in France. But since March, uh, all the universities were closed, so all the meetings we had to do were online. And we, got, uh, we couldn't see our professors or anything. And then now we're working on the lab. If everything goes well, we'll be working until end of September. But we're depending on the situation and how it evolves here. here. Uh, but even if we're in the lab, we have to respect all the sanitary restrictions, like uh, keeping a safe distance, wearing face masks and all that. And then other minor problems, but due to coronavirus, it's that we have some delays in the shipping of all the materials that we, that we need that are caused by the pandemic. But overall, I think we are pretty lucky because we do have access to the lab. Yeah, that's it's yeah, it's really helpful to have access to lab to actually test um, your design. So, what are your guys's future directions? Where are you planning to go with your projects? So, we actually also thought about the implementation of our project 
uh, on space, but also on Earth. We thought about how we could implement our system inside the spacecraft, but how uh, it could be also used on Earth. And so we thought about the potential users and consumers. And even though our system is designed to be used in space by astronauts, we also wanted to enlarge the scope of our users. For example, we could offer our system to populations that are deficient in certain vitamins or nutrients, such as vitamin A for our proof of concept. And so they will be able to produce um, their yeast independently with only the resources that our system uses. And this will be very useful in many countries, such as uh, Ghana or other African countries. But we also had another idea that would be to provide um, a livestock of better quality in, in a more ecological way using our system. But we're still thinking about which way we want to focus on besides this space. Do you, do you know how much, um, or I don't know if this has already been asked or it's not really applicable, but do you know how much like a system would cost like or a projected cost? Um, I think the electrolyzer itself is something like 200 euros, like a simple one, not the NASA one, <laughs> I guess. But um, so, and then it's just like glass uh, flasks, I guess, and pumps, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, overall, it should be something like 500 euros at most. Is the $500 more like the cost of like your project or is it the cost of one um well the cost of our project uh, overall is way higher oh, <laughs> but, yeah. um the system itself i think like if it was massively produced or something like that or mm -hmm. it could be like we could make the price go down quite easily mm. um and then it would be a one-time purchase because then all the resources are available in the environment where you will be so as long as you have the system and you use electricity water and urine you could produce the nutrients or vitamin um this is actually the advantage of making something for uh space it's that you have so many constraints that you have to work with uh, that you end up doing something that is actually like really ecological um, in a way, because mm -hmm. you're only like using the available resources, we have to like close the cycle because you cannot really import uh, any material or like outside energy um, beside uh, the electrical energy from the sun. So that makes our system like really easily usable as a, like an ecological device to produce food and nutrients on earth so that's why we kind of also thought about this implementation uh, if we wanted to go uh, like develop our project in the future yeah it's like a really sustainable project but have you guys considered if the yeast or the clostridium were to mutate how do you maintain it that's actually a good question. Um, we hope it does. <laughs> we thought that maybe um, we could like, you could restart the culture like, I don't know, once uh, every two months or something like this with like uh, frozen stock that you have. 
like normally the closed freedom shouldn't really mutate like we didn't engineer them so they should like stay the same um, i don't know but as he said we will always have the stock the original stock so that shouldn't really be a problem yeah time. yeah that makes sense um especially for something like space it's so it's way easier to transport a stock of bacteria versus actual food Exactly. Yeah. So your project sounds really awesome. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you guys so much for being with us today and talking about your project. We really enjoyed learning about it and we wish you the best of luck.